superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 319! This is the Rich Eisen Show. Do you expect to start week one? What'd you make of Brian Schottenheimer and Jacksonville's comments that it's too early to name a starting quarterback in Jacksonville? I don't, I'd love to know what Urban said to him, like either before he went out there to talk to the media or after. The Rich Eisen Show. Stop BSing me, man. Today's guests ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst. Yes Network Yankees broadcaster Michael Kay, plus 14-year NFL veteran Greg Olson. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Okay, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Rich Eisen Show. We are live in Los Angeles, California. Pleased that you are with us on NBC Sports on Peacock or this Rich Eisen Show terrestrial radio affiliate or this Sirius XM station channel 211 NBC Sports Audio or if you're Listening to us on Odyssey, coast to coast, we stream for free every day. You can get our podcast uh, at the Cumulus Podcast Network, where uh, all podcasts can be acquired. You can listen to us live. You can watch us live. You can listen to us on demand. You can get us on demand with your own eye gate on YouTube.com and, of course, on NBC Sports on Peacock. Now that I've run through all of that, let's talk sports and entertainment, shall yeah. we, here on this busy Monday. Good to see you, Chris Brockman. Good to see you, sir. What a do. Mike Del Tufo back in his chair after doing something that we don't know if he was really doing. Good soccer. to see you over there. <laughs> oh, soccer. Soccer. What was your soccer match that you were doing? Uh, I did there some... There you uh, go. <laughs> Copa America. Brazil, uh, Bolivia, and uh, uh, Chile. Bolivia. Okay. Bolivia. Okay. Where the, uh, Which is where Butch Mike Tyson Sundance. once sent somebody, right? To Bo- Bolivian, correct? correct? Remember that? Correct. Butch Cassidy, the I was on Sports Center when he said that long ago. Good to see you, TJ Jefferson. Good to see you, sir. Hey, Rich, we're here to. Uh, oh, we're here to. Um, <laughs> here we dude, go. Come on. Here we go. We are here to say goodbye and lay to rest the process. I think it's finally time that we uh, put some dirt on it and uh, we moved on. It's interesting, man. Interesting. Isn't it? That that's, that that's one way to look at it. That the process is now fully <laughs> run through its cycle. That the Philadelphia 76ers, when did the, I guess the process start? One would say about 10 years ago? About 10 right? years ago. 10? Um, more than that? Let's right? See here. Oh, less than that. Uh, the process been, started. Well, with, actually, about 13, I guess. I think so. Yeah, with like Nerlens Noel and, and Bede's drafting. Well, I think. Uh, no. I, well, I mean, it was, was before, before that. that. It was before that when Sam Hinkie was starting to collect all sorts of manners of if you could breathe and had a draft pick that he would take, he would take it. He would, he would, he would acquire it. And then the Sixers kept kicking the can down the road and trust the process that at some point you'll get all these draft picks turned into the right people. 
you know. And um, I guess now the fact that Joel Embiid is the personification of the process and Ben Simmons was taken as high as he was taken, as in number one overall. 2013, and you you do have some bumps in the road. Markel Fultz is the biggest bump of them <gasps> in the road. Put it all together, and you get Doc Rivers at the very end of that run, and Daryl Morey to supplement it. And God bless Daryl Morey, because the only other person who was putting a ball in the hole, other than uh, Joel Embiid, was Seth Curry. With all due respect to Tobias Harris. Who did have twenty four points, yeah. but yeah, but yeah. on like what thirty percent shooting. Mm. Here's the problem with the Philadelphia 76ers writ large. When your best offensive option in this day and age is a seven footer who you need to beat someone off the dribble starting at the top of the key in order to score a basket in a game seven. And the guy isn't even fully 100%. And he's trying to beat someone off the dribble off the top of the key and someone like Danilo Gallinari can punch it free. That's a problem. Especially when that guy might be your best three-point shooter too. And the biggest problem is the guy that is his Robin to his Batman won't shoot the basketball. Because either A, he's afraid to because he might not make it or be in the case of passing up a clear dunk he's afraid to go to the free throw line because he's about to get fouled that is the ultimate indictment about what we saw from Ben Simmons yesterday passing up a dunk Because he's afraid to go to the free throw line. That happened in a game seven in front of God and country. We saw it. And I think, you know, our friend from Hollis, Queens, by way of Philadelphia, he summed it up best. I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't have a similar thought, but he crystallized it perfectly in Stephen A. Smith is that in Philadelphia, if you miss the shots consistently, it's a tough town. It's a tough town if you miss the shots consistently. But it's an unforgiving town if you even refuse to take the damn shot. And Ben Simmons, because of all that, is shot in Philadelphia. That's it. Problem for the Sixers is who the hell's going to take him. I'm boiling it all down, and I and I and I I I will say this that the Hawks deserve all the kudos and we're focused on Philadelphia. We'll turn the page. We've got a couple of days to turn the page. And the Hawks are deserving of our attention. And I will, at this moment, give pause and say that Trey Young has shown up on the NBA stage as a first-grade, grade-A NBA playoff game assassin. He is the guy who is fearless, who will take one from 29 feet and jar it and then drive the lane and make a tough shot, go into the basket, or slice up the double team off the dribble and create 
for a teammate or take it to the rim. He is phenomenal. And Atlanta can rest assured they have got themselves a generationally talented player. That aside, the Sixers process, which is why you started this way, T.J. Jefferson, being done, is because Simmons is done in Philadelphia. And the question is, is who's going to take him? Who will take a guy that is afraid to dunk a basketball because he doesn't want to be put at the line? In the NBA in 2021, we saw that. That's a broken player. That's a broken player. Even the sunniest individual that I've met in my time here in Los Angeles, Doc Rivers, after the game yesterday, was asked point blank, is this a champion point guard that you have here? And Ben Simmons. Doc, do you think Ben Simmons can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. You know, so I don't know the answer to that. What do you, uh, when you say get in the gym with him, what, uh, what needs to be done? I mean, obviously, this is, this is Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, that's between Ben and I. He's got no answers. Literally. I don't have an answer for that. That's the quote. I don't have an answer. Who's going to take him? Who's going to take him? Whew. Made even worse by the fact that it appears, I don't know if it's true or not, that James Harden could have been acquired for him way back in the fall. That's the problem. You got a bunch of players around Joel Embiid who are talented. Are they next level? Who's the Chris Middleton here? Chris Middleton, who has built himself into a grade A NBA playoff assassin. What a game seven that was in Brooklyn. Where Giannis and Middleton making the plays necessary as everyone on that floor was out of gas. Giving it their all. Who's the Devin Booker? When Chris Paul goes down, Chris Paul, you could even say, is the Robin to Booker's Batman. You could say that. You could make that case, even though Chris Paul, when healthy and not in COVID protocol, is viewed as the straw that stirs the sun's drink, but we saw in game one against the Clippers. Who's the Paul George? Who's even that? On the Sixers. Who's the Paul Who's the Paul George? Because Paul George, Paul George, who's the Terrence Mann? Who's the Reggie Jackson on the Sixers? Because those guys, who's the Marcus Morris who showed up as the Clippers remarkably win the final four games against the Jazz to earn the Western Conference Finals appearance that the Clippers fans have been waiting for. They won the last four that series. They fall down 0-2. They win the last four, last two without Kawhi. Who's the, who are those people on the Sixers? I don't think they exist because Ben Simmons is broken. Now, I don't even want to hear like these were his problems in college. The problem is, is that when players come in with problems in college in any sport, any sport, name the sport. When they get into the pros, they work on that and actually make those Achilles heels a strength. We've seen it. We've seen all-time great players have an Achilles heel despite still being an all-time great player in the NBA, and by the end of their careers, it's gone. 
And in so doing, even Kobe lost his Achilles heel. The literal one. Remember Jordan didn't have an outside outside jumper? Remember that? Remember that story? <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Yep. Then he finished his career shrug, shrug emoji. Yeah. Whatever Kobe's weaknesses were, gone. Ben Simmons doesn't appear that he works on a damn thing. I don't know the guy. I shouldn't sit here and kill him in terms of his want to. The problem is, is he can't do. In every game in the playoffs, regardless of the sport, the playoffs will find the weakness. If it's a right fielder with a pop gun arm, if it's a bullpen that has a problem with the left-handers, if it's the shortstop who has a problem, if it's the wide out who can't create space, if it's the linebacker who has problems filling a gap, if it's a Las Vegas night goalie who can't move laterally, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's seriously, you see it every year and year right. out. And the problem with the Sixers is that their main offensive weapon, who's terrific, who was an MVP candidate this year, is a seven-footer who has to create off the dribble. And when it all comes down to it, if the two-man game comes down to Joel Embiid and Seth Curry, and you've got a bunch of other players on the other team, like Trey Young and Gallinari and Kevin Herter. Who's the Sixers? Kevin Herter. Sorry, TJ. That's the Sixers' problem. You were nicer about it than I would have been. This is Daryl Morey's problem. This is Doc Rivers' problem. This is Philadelphia's problem. Who's going to take Ben Simmons? And uh, don't don't tell me Portland. I'm going to tell you that, Rich. Uh, you could tell me all you want. If you've got a hope chest at home. Str- stranger things Whatever that is. Whatever that is. You might have to throw the Liberty Bell in. I don't know. It's cracked. Who needs it? Offshore gaming sites, guys, in case you're into that type of thing, Ben Simmons' next team, if traded, Blazers, 2-1, Wizards, 3-1, Spurs, 4-1, Jazz, and Thunder, 5-1. Get out of here. Yes, Rich. It's a possibility. Joel Embiid's next team, if traded. Well, he ain't getting traded, so you don't even need to read this. Portland, two to one. Rockets, two to one. Warriors, it's not three to one. Lakers, why the, why, and, four you know, to one. Let, let, put a pin in that. <laughs> Still to come on this show. Why the hell would the Blazers do that? A new segment. <laughs> a new segment on the Rich Eisen show. On what planet would the Blader, Blazers do that? That's going to be later on. <laughs> That's called, later on. It's called Earth. We've got uh, Brian Windhorst coming up. That's the question for Brian. What next for the Sixers? What next, okay, for the Nets? Because Joe Harris is off the griddle thanks to Ben Simmons. Right. Joe Harris was on the griddle for about 24 hours. Jeez. Where was he in that state? And And Harden. I mean, Harden, poof, disappeared. It was all hero ball with Kevin Durant. That was their offense at the end of that game. I mean, I, and it I, almost worked. It almost, almost worked. worked. It almost worked. We almost, we all, I, I was ready to talk on this show today about the Bucks losing game seven because they had the ball up to in Brooklyn with 1.8 seconds left on a shot clock. 
And Robin Lopez in the corner didn't even get a damn shot off at there. the rim. Just it was insane. That was insane. That just gave please, here, Brooklyn, here's another possession that Kevin Durant took a turnaround three to win the game if he only apparently did not wear sneakers one shoe size larger because he likes to have some sort of right. give. If he's a 15 instead of a 17, Brooklyn wins the series. But apparently, like, his foot is is one shoe size. He wears a shoe size larger than he needs to. There was an article I saw on Twitter from a couple years ago. He likes some give in his foot and in his ankle. See, he wears shoes larger than his actual foot. Oh. Sorry, he's an 18. I shortchanged him. Swear I read this article. And the Bucs were Lucky. Lucky. And the Nets, because the Nets couldn't make a damn shot in overtime, the Bucks gave them three chances to make it a two-possession game in overtime, and the Nets couldn't. Harden's shot was gone. I Drew give him Holiday credit for being a out there, a, though, Drew man. Holiday had a heck of a fourth quarter. You got to give it up to James Harden, man. The guy can barely walk. He's on got one it. leg, right. and he plays 46 minutes the night before, you know, in game that it was a hell of a game. They spilled and their 50 gu- plus in the, game the guts seven, were spilled like. out on the floor everywhere. And I know I kind of gave short shrift to the Suns and the the Clippers. And in the open here, we'll talk about it a little bit more because I do want to know what the hell is we going on with Chris Paul, which we'll ask of Brian Windhorst in a second. That series is the power of belief. Two teams that just believe in themselves, and we're going to do it. <laughs> and just think about it. As we're sitting here right now, the winner of the NBA championship is either the Clippers, Suns, Hawks, or Bucks. Here we go. Somebody is going to have a party like they haven't had since the 80s or ever. Ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just one last thought before you take a break for all of us, for those listening to us in the Valley of the Sun. Can you keep your damn hands to yourself, fans? That's twice now. It's twice now. And don't respond to anything talking about this with Sons and Four Guy because Sons and Four Guy got a hell of a lot of run. And I'm just wondering if there's a bunch of other fans thinking I'm going to get on somebody's podcast or show if I hit somebody and say Sons and Four. Well, Rich, I saw that brawl yesterday. That was dangerous, man. Sons and Four Guy got a beer poured on his head and he responded. I'm not. not, So, I mean, it's not like he. Went out and started the fight. I'm just. I'm not that saying up. that, but Sons and Four guy got a hell of a lot of running a lot of places in the media. Yeah. I'm not saying he didn't. That he he deserved to have a beer poured on his head. All right, we'll take a break here. Uh, on this show, Michael K will join us on this program. He called a walk off, uh, a walk off triple play for the Yankees yesterday. Who suddenly won five of six. I don't know how the hell they did all that. Uh, Michael's got a new book out uh, on his center stage, uh, on his uh, center stage show. And uh, there's a lot of great interviews that he's recounting. Michael K will be on this program. We'll ask him about all the, the goo gate, I guess. Is that what it is? <laughs> Spider tack gate? I don't know what the hell it is. Goo gate. Goo gate, everybody. It's pretty good. Goo gate. Like uh, Greg Olson in hour number three on this program. His tight end camp is this week that we talked about with George Kittle. Uh, and Greg had a uh, heck of a Father's Day, to say the least. Mm-hmm. His son, as we all know, just went through uh, heart transplant surgery. Greg Olson will be coming up on this program. And you at 844-204-RICH. Back with Brian Winhorst in a second. 
It's that time of year, people. Spring has sprung, and that means spring cleaning, or at least the partner in your life is demanding that you do it. Whether that means stocking up on cleaning supplies or swapping out your winter clothes for new spring clothes, make sure you're using Ibotta and get real cash back with every purchase. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys. The average Ibotta user earns $256 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, that flight you've been eyeing, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Join the over 50 million users and earn cash back every time you shop from over 2,700 brands and retailers. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 for just trying Ibotta by using the code Eisen when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use my code E-I-S-E-N. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use my code Eisen. Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I have here, word for word, verbatim, three of the great uh, sports rants of all time. <laughs> Um, and we would love for you to do your best Victor Newman. Is that okay? No, the Let's the first one is Herm Edwards. Yes, Herm Edwards. The first one up, Herm Edwards on October 30th, 2002, after a week eight loss to the Cleveland Browns. Ooh. Here is play to win the game as told by Victor Newman. This is great about sports. This is what's the greatest thing about sports is you play to win. Hello? You play to win the damn game, right? You don't play just to play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go to play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, get your ass out of here, then retire. Cause it matters. Well done, that's number one. Next up. In October 16th, 2006, after the Cardinals blew a 20-point lead against the Bears on Monday Night Football. Oh, man. Dennis Green, they are who we thought they oh. were, as as portrayed by Victor Newman. The Bears are who we thought they were, you know? That's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. <laughs> but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the damn hook. <laughs> Very good. Very well done. All right, last one for you. I can feel it. (laughs) (laughs) I can feel it. I'm glad that we got it rolling because here's the last one. I can feel it. On May 7th, 2002, the famed practice press conference of one Allen Iverson as recounted 
by the man who plays Victor Newman, Eric Braden. Hit it, Mike Dolce. The great Allen Iverson, my God, man. Go for it. I mean, listen, man. You're talking about practice, okay? Not a game. It's not a game. Not a game, all right? You're talking about practice. Not a game. Not the game that I go out there and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. You're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? I know it's important. Yeah, I do, I do, I do, I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. You're talking about practice, man. Eric, I think that's your finest work, if you don't mind me saying. Well, thank you very much. YouTube.com slash Rich Eisen Show for our full archive. Right here on this program. 844-204-RICH, number to dial. We'll take your phone calls in this first hour. Michael Kay and Greg Olson still to come here. We have yet to talk about uh, John Rahm's U.S. Open Championship uh, victory and Bryson DeChambeau, the scientist, blowing up the lab. Um, and the uh, back nine uh, at Torrey Pines yesterday. We'll discuss that on this program. Uh, but we turn to our guest line right here on the Rich Eisen Show, one of our favorites to make us smarter and tell us what's going on from the worldwide leader in sports, one of the best talking basketball on TV, podcasts, and more, Brian Windhorst of ESPN back here. How are you doing, sir? What about when Tommy Lasorda was asked about his opinion of Dave Kingman's three-homer performance? Mm, what was that again? Oh, you don't. That's why that's the greatest sports rant I've ever heard. Oh, that one. Oh, that sports rant. Yes, I do remember that. That I one mean, I do you can't remember. Play it. Oh, yeah. You can't, well, you can't I don't play know. It. I don't know if it's uh, that we need earmuffs, I think, coast to coast <laughs> yeah, for that, yeah. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's get into uh, what, what, uh, what do the Philadelphia 76ers think today? Like, literally, what's going through the mind of Daryl Morey today as we're all uh, watching Ben Simmons? Uh, pass up a dunk for fear appears to be put on a free throw line, Brian. Well, I don't really, I, I don't particularly like to get into hyperbole in the moments after a devastating loss, but I was gobsmacked at that moment in the game. I, I just couldn't believe it, and and not because of the two points, the lad, the loss of the two points, but because of what it represented, and. You could probably put together a montage of the way Doc Rivers talked about Ben Simmons in this, just in these playoffs, which was a month long for the Sixers. Um, but, you know, in the first round against Washington, when Washington was fouling him in the first half um, to put him on the foul line, uh, Doc Rivers angrily came back at people who, who criticized um, the concept of, of not taking him out of the game. And he, he basically said, if you want to take Ben Simmons off the floor, you don't know basketball. That was what Doc was saying you know, two, three weeks ago. Now not only was he taking him off the floor, now he's asked about whether he can be a championship point guard, and he couldn't give an answer. And I think the most worrisome thing that happened last night for the Sixers was Joel Embiid you know, basically saying – that he thought the turning point in the game was that play. And I don't agree with him. It wasn't the turning point in the game, but it was a vote of no confidence by Embiid. And this is an offseason where Embiid is going to be asked to sign a five-year max contract extension, and I expect him to sign it. 
but I also expect him to give some opinions about the direction of the franchise. And um, when it comes to Ben Simmons, that could be a very important discussion. I mean, it was it's a total disintegration of a, a first overall draft drafted player, uh, Brian, for whom it appears the Sixers did not pull a trigger on a hardened trade last fall. Is that is that a fair connection right there? No, I don't think so. Okay. Because, um, uh, I don't really know whether the Rockets were ever going to trade James Harden to Philadelphia because of the Daryl Morey situation there. Uh, really, I think probably only Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner, could give you the honest answer of whether he would ever have done that deal. And even if he tells it to you on the record, I don't know if I believe him. <laughs> I'll give them a pass on that one. The one I won't give them a pass on is that they elected not to be very aggressive in trying to get Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline. And ultimately, the Raptors didn't trade Kyle Lowry, but... They held back, I think, the offer that could have gotten him because I think they didn't want to pay him after the season. They wanted to protect some of their young assets, and now they're home. And if they had Kyle Lowry in this series, we would be getting ready for conference finals starting in Philadelphia this week. I think that's that's fair to say that, too, because of what we've seen Lowry do in big-time games. And it it just seemed that they were, they were you know, the two-man game between Embiid and Seth Curry with the occasional Tobias Harris um, – you know, off the window runner was essentially their offense in the fourth quarters against Atlanta. That was that was basically it, Brian. Right? I mean, yeah, and, and it's it's been a bad week for Doc Rivers, Rich, because we just saw the the Clippers. Um, we mm. saw Tyron Lue get very aggressive in making game plan alterations to navigate his team through that Jazz series. And look, it helps when you go put guys into the game and they have some of their best games of their career. I mean, Ty Lue can put guys out there. doesn't mean he's going to get them to hit all kinds of shots that helped that make Ty Lue good. Um, but you know, last year it was docs in action as they were blowing that three, one lead. It was his lack of adjustments that a lot of people blamed and was the reason he got fired. So here you have a year later, Ty Lue putting in the elbow grease and getting the Clippers through. And then you watch how this series played out because, you know, if you watch the Sixers throughout the playoffs, there were other options that they had offensively that Doc just stopped going to. In the last round, when Joel Embiid got hurt, the way they got through that series, now granted, they were ahead 3-0 when, when Joel went down, but and Joel missed the game and a half at the end, but they went to a pick and roll with Seth Curry and Tobias Harris, and it just slaughtered the Wizards. And that just was nowhere there. And so, in addition to the Ben Simmons challenge, you've got a challenge about Doc Rivers and his ability to to you know make adjustments within playoff series because his record is not impressive in that regard and it's pretty darn vital for a coach at the highest level to be good at that. Yeah, 29 losses with a chance to clinch a playoff series in the career of Doc Rivers. Um and, and obviously that that'll be a subject matter down the road. Um but for the here and now, Brian Winhorst on on the Rich Eisen show for the here and now before we do move on to other series. I do want to give you the the, the chance to front load uh, the answer to what is already out there in the NBA Twitterverse and fans who are just saying, well, Simmons is is shot in Philadelphia. I, I do believe that somebody who, who passes up shots is unsustainable in, in Philadelphia. 
that um, he'll be uh, on the market and Portland would be the spot for him to go because there's something up with Damian Lillard there and they're connecting dots. Or is there any viability connecting those dots, Brian Windhorst? Uh, ben Simmons has something that could happen this summer that could change a lot. And it's probably not something anybody's thinking about. He's probably thinking about it. As far as I know, he is committed to playing for for Australia in the Olympics in Tokyo. And the Australians have a great team, and they, um, they're they going to hope to medal for the first time. And that team is loaded with guards. And so Ben, is, if he plays, is probably not going to play guard. Uh, Patty Mills is Team Australia's uh, point guard. And Patty Mills, in international competition, plays like Steve Nash. He's amazing. And so on that team, Ben Simmons will not play point guard. He will play maybe center, maybe power forward. And we and by the way, the Americans are sending a real team. Kevin Durant is going to play. Uh, Devin Booker, depending on what happens with the Suns, is going to play. Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, Draymond Green, Jason Tatum. It's going to be a real team. It's going to be, if it's not our A team, it's our A-minus team. And so Ben Simmons is going to play big-time games against, against major competition in Tokyo. And I would say to him, if I could get to him, if I was someone who, who, was, who was close to him, I would say, Ben, you have a great opportunity to pivot here and show what you can do when you're not just worried about getting fouled, when you're not just uh, in a position where you have to play off of uh, Joel Embiid. And that could be a pivotal moment because if he can show versatility on the world stage here, not only may he transfer what he looks like short-term in Philadelphia, but he may transfer, transform what teams look at him um, as – on the trade market. And so if they indeed make him available, I would be watching to see. Now, he could pull out tomorrow and none of this could happen. I hope he doesn't. So is there any truth to the fact that oh, we're talking about Lillard? So many people are like, they can't win in Portland, he can't win there, he wants out or anything like that. Is there anything up with Damian Lillard? Do you know, Brian? Oh, I don't know. Damian Lillard is fully invested in Portland as far as I know. Right. I mean, he's been uh, fully invested in the coaching search. Um, he's been, you know, involved in the coaching search. He is going to Tokyo. It doesn't look like a guy who's asking for a trade. Uh, we'll see who the, who the coach who gets hired there, but I don't think Dame's going anywhere. I, I think if you honestly made Ben, I know a lot of people are leaping to conclusions about Portland, not just for Lillard, but for CJ McCollum. And yeah, you could, um, I could write you up a nice 700 word article about, uh, <laughs> analyzing that, uh, that possible trade, but Ben Simmons is a really good player, and if he became available, there'd be a lot of teams making offers, um, and you know there would be a lot of options. Um, it's not as as cut and dried as uh, making a snap decision after a miserable defeat like this. Brian Winhorst, as always, making us smarter here, uh, chatting on the Rich Eisen show. What is up with Chris Paul? What's going on? Is he vaccinated? Best you can tell, and. Why? Why don't we find out? Like, is it a is it a close contact? Does he have it? Like, why why aren't we learning all of the details and that leading me to ask you a question five different ways, Brian? From from what I have been told, he was vaccinated, and he is in. He has unfortunately has a breakthrough. What they call a breakthrough infection. He is COVID positive or was tested COVID positive last week despite being vaccinated. And uh, that's actually happened with a couple of NBA players, and it's um, a reminder of why they still have protections. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of data yet, uh, Rich, on what happens to folks who have a breakthrough infection like that. Hopefully he's not experiencing severe symptoms. But um, 
in the during the during the season of the NBA players who tested positive, you either had to go through two back to back negative tests or you had to go through ten days after your symptoms stopped. And almost every player who got who tested positive was out for about two weeks. Um and again, I wish I could say, well, 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 there was 35 players who tested positive with breakthrough infections, and, and and there was a bigger sample, but I don't have it. And so the reality is, when Chris Paul tested positive last Monday, uh, you had to rea- you had to face the reality that he could be looking at 10 to 14 days, just because the two negative tests don't come very often. And despite him being vaccinated, the whole the whole league is not vaccinated, and. Because of that, the NBA has had to stick their protocols to try to avoid an outbreak. And so it's a terrible hand to be dealt to the Suns. Um, the reality is he may look at having to miss three or four games. They are not giving us updates on his daily testing, which I understand is a privacy matter. But we just don't know, um, you know, publicly at least, you know, you know, what his tests look like and what his symptoms are. But the reality is, you know, I don't see him – back for game two and i it could be longer and so the fact that the suns were able to get such a victory and they got a huge break rich this is this is just reality the fact that the western conference finals are being televised by abc and espn worked in the sun's advantage and that is because abc espn was guaranteed a sunday afternoon game whether that was going to be game one of a series or game seven of a series. And, and because it was an afternoon game, TNT typically doesn't do afternoon games. They do evening games. They have the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Um, there had to be an afternoon window, and it's early in the West Coast. And so the Clippers have a 36-hour turnaround. And that, I do think, played a role in the Suns being able to go up 1-0. So as bad a luck as they had getting the Chris Paul infection, they did get some fortune to catch the Clippers on on tight rest, and I think it contributed that. And of course, Devin Booker's brilliant game. They're up one zero, and uh, that's a great win without Chris Paul. Interesting. And then the Twitter sleuths, if that's such a thing, I don't know if that's an oxymoron or not, um, Brian. But the Twitter sleuths are seeing Kawhi walking around without a limp and no brace and no anything on his knee, and that's led to the conversation that maybe it's the old. Bone bruise, partial ACL tear, which means he may not be out either for the rest of the playoffs. What are you hearing about that for the Clippers? Well, a sprain, the definition of a sprain is a a tear. So Mm -hmm. he has some sort of tear in his ACL. Um, I probably have a tear in my ACL. We all have little (laughs) tears, but I don't want to overreact that. But he definitely has a, a minor tear in his ACL or, I don't know, moderate or whatever. They elected not to tell us whether he had a grade one, grade two, or grade three sprain. Uh, James Harden came out after the net series ended and said, hey, I had a grade two hamstring strain, which means that that's a four- to six-week injury normally. So that's what he was playing through. Um, uh, so, you know, Kawhi, uh, in talking to the Clippers, they, have, they are keeping their cards close to the vest, but they say they're optimistic that he will be able to return. Um, now, does that mean that in Game Six of a final series? Does that mean in Game Six of the conference finals? You know, I don't even know if they know that. But I will say that typically, when you have a knee sprain, it is, a, is an injury that is measured in weeks, not days. Um, but this is the playoffs, and we'll see. Kawhi has been very cautious with injuries in his career, and that can't be 
that can't be discounted. But um, I think for the short term, um, the Clippers are going to probably have to do this without thinking Kawhi is going to be coming back. All right, last one for you, Brian. I, I read an article that um, that Durant wears shoes one size larger than he really needs to because he likes the feel, that he likes the room or the give. And we all <laughs> yeah. saw we all saw the toes on the three point line <laughs> that would have been the game winner. Yeah. essentially against the Bucks, leading to an overtime instead because he had his feet on the line that they lost. Is that a true story? Does Durant wear shoes well, larger it, than he needs to? It was it was true at one time. Okay. I don't know whether or not he still does. I mean, <laughs> I wonder after you've torn your Achilles whether your doctor advises wearing yeah. uh, shoes that don't quite fit. Um, but, uh, um, yes, although that is an amazing fact, it is an amazing little story. That wasn't why the Nets lost the series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just I just saw that and I'm like, wow, but you know. So it, I, it was a truly incredible shot. And, and here's what you can say about about the playoffs and, and the margins. Even though you play series in the NBA and typically you don't have stuff like that, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks. If he is four millimeters or whatever back, I don't think they score, and I think they lose that game. Now the Milwaukee Bucks. Have all three of their stars healthy, which you can't say about anybody else, basically. Right. Uh, even the Atlanta Hawks, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's a really important player for them, has a bad knee, couldn't finish the game last night. Um, Chris Paul in protocols, Kawhi Leonard out. They got all their stars healthy. They are rested. They had three days off, okay? And look what just fell into their laps as the number three seed. Home court advantage. Mm-hmm. They haven't lost at home in the playoffs. So this is the crazy thing about the playoffs in general, and especially this year. Look at where they're at. They've got their best chance to win, in my view, the best chance to win a finals since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson were there. It is amazing. And, um, incredible. It is amazing. All four teams have an oppor- th- th- that are left. It's amazing, uh, Brian, that the storylines that for all four teams, a chance to win a championship. The Hawks, the Clippers, the Suns, who have never done it. I mean, that's a, it, it is exciting times for those fan bases. And I do hope that the rest of the league, just because the rest of the world, because there's no LeBron or Durant, and we're waiting to see if Paul's back or Kawhi's not in, I, I hope people tune in, quite frankly. you know. Well, if they don't want to tune in, that's fine. But if you've been watching it, it's been tremendously entertaining, high-drama basketball. And I'll just go to something that David Stern always said, which is that no matter what happens in the NBA, the game, the, the greatness of the game and the greatness of the players always wins out. You may have a bad week or a bad year or a bad series or what have you, and you may people may react to this television rating going here or there, but the game always wins out, and the game has grown for 70 years, and I'm wagering on the game winning out because the game is winning out in this postseason. I love it. And then you got the lottery tomorrow night, the, uh, the combine. There's lots to talk about. I'd love to have you back on in short order, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. Have a good week. You bet. Same to you. That's Brian Winhorst, everybody. Whew. How about that answer? Ben Simmons, does he have a trade market? Look to the Olympics. That's why I love having Brian Windhorst on. How about that as an answer? The Olympics could be that, could be something that serves him well, rehabilitates his game right off the bat. Normally, this is you're sitting on what we just saw an entire offseason. Like, see you in November, here in June. Instead, just a few weeks from now, he could be meddling, doing what he couldn't do for Philadelphia for Australia. And, of course, that'll send people in Philadelphia crazy, except for the fact that maybe it shows what he can do X, Y, and Z 
outside of this construct, which might actually give credence to the fact that he and Embiid can't play together after all. <laughs> it's just a, a we, we could be get caught just in the same riptide, just a different riptide than the one that we're caught in. But the fact is, look to the Olympics, which I'm sure our friends at NBC Sports on Peacock don't mind him saying. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about the United States Open that you did see on NBC. Talk about whether a process is sustainable. Bryson DeChambeau when we come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Which is your favorite credit? You got 334 of them. Which is your favorite movie that you were part of, Danny Trejo? Well, I would have loved Machete even if I wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. It was just a great movie. It was mm -hmm. Robert Rodriguez. And then, uh, but my, the first one that really kind of, I did a movie called Heat with, with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Pacino and that kind of like said, wow, you're like a real actor now. Mm -hmm. When I That was unbelievable. Just... Just meeting those. It's so funny because I, I worked with Robert De Niro on on uh, Heat, and I just couldn't keep my eyes off. It was just like, oh, this is the guy, right? And when my son met him, my son Gilbert, I said, hey, Gilbert, this is Robert De Niro. And Bob is my son, Gilbert. Robert De Niro goes, hi, Gilbert. My son goes, you talking to me? <laughs> nine years old. I said, Gilbert, you didn't see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, the Comedy Channel, Dad. Because oh, <laughs> you, you never showed your kid Taxi no, Driver at yeah. age nine, huh? No, they saw that from dust to dawn, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, they might give a Kevin nightmare if they see from dust till dawn my at daughter, age nine. When my eyes went in the pool pocket, my daughter jumped to six. She jumped up in the in the theater and went, whoa, that was so cool. <laughs> Why did, how did De Niro react to a nine-year-old spitting like, taxi driver lines back at him? No, but he laughed. He okay. loved, him and Gilbert are good friends. And then, uh, and then when we did Machete, he did Machete for me. Mm -hmm. I ran into him, and he was saying, well, you, you. Number one, because I'm number one on the call sheet. Mm -hmm. Number one. Uh, num and I was so ticked, I just said, uh, can I get you some coffee, Mr. <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's still Mr., you know? That's fantastic. Uh, how did you get involved with Breaking Bad? I mean, that was... They called. They my, called uh, you. Gloria, my agent, said, uh, you might do one of Hollywood's first. And I said, what's that? He says, Breaking Bad wants you to cross the desert on a tortoise. I thought, that's got to be a pretty big tortoise. <laughs> 
Well, it's just your head. Is it one of Hollywood's first? No one else has done this. <laughs> okay. Where, where, where is the head of Tortuga right know. now, they Danny? Me. They owe, they owe that to me still. Really? The producers still owe it to me. Just like, uh, what's his name? I did Con Air, and he still owes me the arm. <laughs> So your arm, Jerry Brooks, Bruckheimer, Bruckheimer. Yeah. Hey, where's my arm, Holmes? So Bruckheimer owes you an arm. My arm. And uh, Vince Gilligan owes you a head. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're 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 piecing this together right now, Danny. <laughs> pretty soon, pretty soon we'll have a whole person. To the whole, the whole body. That was four years ago today. Today. Four years ago today. YouTube.com/slash Rich Eisen Show for our full archive. 844-204-RICH, number to dial here on the Rich Eisen Show. We are back on our radio network where, again, you can call us as well. I just gave the number out on our NBC Sports on Peacock feed. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial. For those listening to us, you can get Peacock for free at PeacockTV.com. We're in front of the old paywall, so uh, we're free every single day, uh, which makes us um, inexpensive, not cheap. Okay, Um, so uh, U.S. Open... At Torrey Pines, everybody. Whew. Okay. Wow. U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, everybody. And uh, here we are at the turn. Just a, a few short minutes at the turn with Bryson DeChambeau removed from nearly acing the par 3-8, which would have put him right into the spot where he wound up being anyway which is sole possession of the lead to become a back-to-back U.S. Open champion. And then the wheels fell off the old wagon. All the way off. And it's just, it is a fascinating watch. It really is. Because he walks around looking like the Michelin man, because certainly compared to everyone else, he's just bigger than everyone else. His swings are just monstrously violent compared to everyone else's. And then he has the approach hit it as far as you can, and get it as close to the green as you can. And it doesn't matter what your lie is. He'll just make the shot based on his acumen, whether it's his brain or the math or the physics or the science or whatever he does. He'll just make the shot to get it on the green. And remarkably, he went 30 straight holes without a bogey in this tournament. And he would just... Hit it and doesn't in the rough doesn't matter. He would take he would take a a fairway wood out of the rough where the ball disappears into because it's the U.S. Open. And just when you think he could do it again, this approach rears its head as unsustainable. That that there is in fact a premium in putting it in the short stuff. And there is a premium in in just thinking your way around the course instead of just brute forcing your way through it and thinking about your body movements. And, you know, I had a swing thought in the middle of the night about to move my right wrist at a certain angle through the zone a little bit longer, and that just alone in itself will provide me with what I need to get the shot that I need and then... I mean, he's a terrific putter, too. I mean, the guy can jar it. I mean, so, but it just proves to be, in the end, unsustainable. And then when he's out of it, that 17th hole where he quadruples 
and the guy shoots a 44 on the back, which, Chris, you I'll give you the floor because you said it perfectly before the show. I'm not just going to rip it from you. A 44. That's what we do. Right, and we celebrate. And we are excited to <laughs> shoot a 44 on the back. 44, whoa, I'm probably breaking 90. Certainly when it's set up for a U.S. Open. Exactly. Not the defending champion doesn't shoot 44. And that's what the Open does. The U.S. Know. Open does more than it. It makes professionals look just like us. Even though DeChambeau looks like very few others. It's like an NFL linebacker. I know, man. <laughs> And that'll just provide some more fodder for July 6th when Brady and Mickelson. You know, that 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 almost had the reigning PGA and U.S. Open champion, Super Bowl champion, reigning MVP of the NFL. Ugh. I mean, it's not like, you know, the is going to make it any less of a star power event, but it'll be fun and you know, so on and so forth. But I do want to give, obviously, some run to the man who started Birdie Birdie and finished Birdie Birdie yesterday. John Rahm. Yeah, man. The Spaniard. Now. Mr. Callaway, Rich. I know that. And we are a Callaway family show. But it is about an interesting, it's always about a journey, certainly when someone wins. And this man's journey in June alone, June alone, it was on the 5th of this month that he had a six-shot lead and found out in the middle of the third round with a six-shot lead that the exposure to COVID that he was told that he had earlier in the week that required him to test every day at the memorial, that required him to go through protocols to stay in his room at the memorial, where he went to compete. Obviously, it's Jack's tournament. It's the month of the U.S. Open. He had just, he and his wife, a newborn baby, newborn son named Keppa. Um, and he was going to go to the memorial, then go home, be with his his uh, newborn and his parents who had flown in from Spain, who he had not seen in over a year because of the pandemic. He finds out at the memorial tournament that he is positive for COVID. And this is, as you know, the year before when he had a rules violation at the memorial, which is why he screamed not again. The fact that we heard him say not again is insane the fact that the tournament officials told him in full view you have covid you're done with a six shot lead i still can't believe that yeah nuts but then this guy has to go through the protocols he is now quarantined from his newborn and his parents doesn't see them he's quarantining for the u.s open he must quarantine he does not get back-to-back negative tests until the 10th and 11th of june the tournament at Torrey Pines starts on the 17th. And on the 20th, Father's Day, he wins it. And there's that baby boy with his beautiful wife and the trophy. Whew. You could say those are all prizes on the screen. That is what it is all about. And congratulations to him. Rolling in that putt on 18th, thinking his way through that moment because there's water behind the green and if he hits it too hard out of the sand if he goes for the pin it could roll off and into the water instead he says I'll just think my way through the situation avoid the water set myself up for a very difficult 18 footer for the win but I'll at least have a shot and with that shot 
he takes home the U.S. Open Championship. Congratulations to John Rahm. Hour two coming up. And the putt on 17 was better. It was insane. What a finish. And it was an awesome day of watching golf. The leaderboard was jam-packed was with superstars Rory. and heavy hitters and major champions. And it was so fun to watch. How about Kepka too, man? Kepka, Rory, so Morikawa, DeChambeau before he blew up. It was so fun to watch. He blew up, though. I don't, I mean, it was awful to watch. It was rough. It was, it was kind of painful. And because, the, you know, the cameras weren't taking their eyes off him. Well, the minute that he doubled, the cameras, like, he disappeared until, like, hey, this just happened moments ago on 17, and the ball goes all over the place. I mean, the minute that he doubled that par five, I mean, that was the end of it. Yeah, and they're showing his shot tracker and, like, not a fairway or green in sight. It it doesn't, uh, it's just. I mean, you kind of feel for the guy because, like, we've all been there as hackers, but. Man, it's like like you and said. Again, I, I don't know. Is his style of play sustainable for these types of events? I, I, it can win you a U.S. Open. It's not like he's never it done can. it before. It can win you an Open, and it can w- get you 44 on the back when on Sunday when you need to shoot 34. What it's if not. he dials it back a little bit? Doesn't try to hit 350 every time? I don't know. I mean, I is that know. what does it? Is that literally what does it? That they, they, the process of hitting 350 every time is what causes them to miss a fairway because guys who do what we're talking about still miss the fairway. I mean, Oosthuizen was missing fairways. Everyone Oost, was missing Oosthuizen fairways. Where all you got to do is hit it in the middle of the fairway. I know. He's just laying up. He laid up instead of laying. Because he, he, well, he was in the rough. But he did actually save par on that, yeah. that, that yeah. hole too. Yeah. When I guess, but but... The difference between saving par and making your birdie. Otherwise, if not, we'd be talking about Rom versus Oosthuizen right now. Playoff. Yeah. Playoff. Playoff. Fun day of golf, man. That's all you want. That for was a major. great. That's all it you want great. for a major on Sunday, man. And Tory was getting some grief from like the the well, conventional. It's because it, it, the reason why is because they play a, a regular tournament there in January. So we kind of we're seeing it for the second time no, through, and so people are just kind of like, "Oh, it's something different." Not everything's Augusta National, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Michael K will be joining us next. He called a walk-off triple play yesterday, and he's got a great new book. We'll talk about that and more with Michael K.